content of this advertising. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's hard to even begin to talk about the real issues of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we've been very clearly vaccinated against the gospel of Jesus Christ by a modern religion that is devoid and empty of everything except sentimental prosperity and ritual. So how do we begin to talk about the gospel from the light of Scripture instead of from the light of the modern culture? At no time in the history of the Christian church have pastors been better educated, paid more money, had more prosperous congregations, And yet, in reality, never in the entire history of the Christian church has it been more dead than it is in America. And how do we even begin to deal with this? Because, let's be honest today with each other, every possible cultural issue raises itself for our consideration. Every crisis comes There was a day when there was no radio, when there was no television, when there was no internet, when there was no cell phone. I remember as a kid, the most excitement we had was when the party line rang two longs, and that meant the neighbor was on the phone, and so we'd grab the phone as kids and listen, because you could listen to everything that was said until mom or dad discovered it, and then we had to hang up. I mean, it was just a whole different age. And in that age, mom and dad had morning prayer and scripture and study with the three children. We had breakfast together. We went out the door together. In the evening, we came together as a family. We had dinner together in the evening. After dinner, we studied We did our homework or we went outside in the summertime and played. It was a different place. And then finally we came together, read the Bible, prayed together, and went to bed. Today, families, you know in your family what happens with food. You grab and growl. Very, very few uh, families sit down together for one meal a day. They're lucky if they get one meal a week together. And so in this jammed world where everything is a crisis and everything is grabbing at us and, and every interest is grabbing at us and every opportunity is grabbing at us, where's there room for God? I've been reading stories of the old timers 
and they too had many cultural issues facing them. But in the midst of all of that, there was time for reflection. And you, you can't take time for reflection. I mean, where the TV's off, where the cell phone is put away, where there's no one around, you're by yourself, you then can begin to reflect. What is your life about? Where are you going? Why are you doing what you're doing? And there's room for God to begin to step into that life and begin to speak to you about what he wants. Somewhere we have to stop long enough to let God begin to speak to us and ask us the questions he would ask us. One of those questions, do you see God as a means to an end? Obviously, in our humanistic culture, the highest value in America is that I do what I have to do so I can be happy. Is that the Christian gospel? Is it the purpose of God to bring about circumstances so that I can be a happy person? Is that why Jesus died on Calvary, to make me happy? Obviously, no. Jesus died on Calvary for the glory of God, to destroy the devil's works. The goal of the Holy Spirit, the goal of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not to make me happy, it's to make me like Jesus. It's to transform me into a person like Jesus. It's to create a clean heart and a new spirit in me. It's to transform me into his likeness so that when I see him, I'm like he is. So that we recognize one another. The purpose of God was not to make me happy. It was to make me holy. So, do you love your sin? Do you want to continue in it? Or do you want a new life? Now, most men and women are only willing to go halfway with God. Because you can go halfway with God and you can still have the world and you can be happy in the world. I talk to many so-called Christian people they're happy. They have every advantage. They have their cash flow. They have their, their machine working for them. They have their jobs. They have their strategies and their plans, and they know where they're going, and they're on their way. And they have Jesus, too. Jesus is an add-on to an already very full life. But when you begin to talk to that person about you know, if you want to get serious with Jesus, you're going to have to turn away from the Super Bowl. You're going to have to turn away from the television. You're going to have to turn away from the movies. They say, what are you talking about? I'm a Christian. But professional sports, the entertainment, the Kardashians... Hollywood, the whole ball of wax is simply a 
demonic plan to trap you, to keep you for eternity, for itself. A place called hell. So, many Christians, halfway Christians, half-converted Christians, are going to discover they have accidentally ended up going to hell. Hell is going to be full of accidents. But heaven will not have one accident. No one will arrive in heaven by accident. It will be by a very clear plan and design and decisions and actions. And if those are not taken, you will not end up in heaven. You will end up in hell. I recognize that when I call you to go all the way with Jesus, I'm really calling you to enter into the suffering of Jesus Christ. And the suffering is caused by my turning away from what my flesh desires. I'm turning away from the darkness. I'm turning to the light. I'm being cleansed and purified by Jesus. I'm being restored by his holy power, his holy spirit, washed by his blood. That creates dissidence and pain in your life. But let's be very straight and honest. Are you doing things in your life that you know are destructive to you? How long do you want to continue doing those things? Are you doing things in your life that you know are destructive to you? How long do you want to continue doing those things? Are you aware that certain patterns of behavior draw you into total discouragement and despair? So how long do you want to pursue that strategy of life. The Holy Spirit comes to us in many different ways, but always he comes not condemning us, but inviting us out into the light, inviting us to leave the darkness, inviting us to stop hurting ourselves. Remember the woman caught in adultery, utterly ashamed, pulled out of bed with a man. They didn't bring the man. They just brought the woman disheveled, sleepy, but now wide awake, terrified, as they ripped her out of that bed and pulled her down the street to where Jesus was standing. Jesus, what do you think? Should we caught this woman in the act of adultery? Should we stone her to death? Jesus didn't say anything. He just bent down and began to write in the dust. I would love to know what he was writing. I suspect he was writing a list of the sins, beginning with the chief among them. They kept pressing him harder and harder. Shall we, shall we stone this woman? Finally, Jesus looks at them and says, Let the one with no sin, cast the first stone. 
Then he bent down and continued writing. I'm, I'm thinking a list of their sins. Finally, they're all gone. And Jesus looks at this woman and says, Is there no one to condemn you? No, not one. And Jesus says to her, Go and leave your life of sin. He was saying, leave the life that creates pain in your heart. Leave the life that creates darkness in your spirit. Leave what destroys you. That's the heart of God for us. In the scriptures, we find a story in 1 Kings. Here's the setup. 1 Kings 16, verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonites, and began, to and began to worship Baal and to serve him. He also set up an altar for Baal, or Baal, in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Well, that's the setup. Asherah, of course, was a goddess of the Sidonites, of the Syrians, of the Canaanites, the Hittites. It was a woman figure carved into a tree. She was the goddess of the trees. And so often Israel was worshiping in a grove of trees because it was a sacred place for Asherah, who was a mother goddess, but also the goddess of love, the goddess of sex. She was the moon god. And Baal was the god of fire. He was the one who brought the sun, they believed. He was, he was the powerful one who threw the thunderbolts and the lightning bolts. He was the one America still worships and the world still worships at Christmas time. That's when he would go to the underworld and fight with the god of death. And everyone would set up lights to try to attract him, light bonfires and do all kinds of things to try to attract him back to the surface so that winter would not come and prosperity would be there. And of course, he's the same one that we worship at Easter, Ishtar. Easter, another name for 
Ashira. Tammuz. These ancient gods and goddesses. The Catholic Church simply wrapped some Christian gospel around these dates and made them sacred. But Easter is about fertility. That's why the bunnies and the the little chicks and all the celebration that we do with Easter. We need to understand that these gods and goddesses are still very real for the culture of our day. Ahab was an evil man. He practiced deliberate evil. Our President Obama, I think he's Ahab's brother. He's done more evil than all of the presidents combined before this time. In what he's done to nations following the path of the Bushes and the Clintons, America in a very short time has come to a point of total collapse and wickedness. And God is angry with America. That's why I want to share this story today. It's found in the 17th chapter, the book of 1 Kings. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now where did Elijah come from? Well, we know he came from Tishbe. We know that that's in Gilead. We know that he was of the tribe of Gad. Doesn't tell us much, though, does it? We know that Jezebel had tried to murder him along with all the other prophets of God. What else do we know about Elijah? Well, we really only know one thing, and that is that he's a man that God can talk to. Those are rare creatures. It's obvious from the book of James, and I'll quickly turn there. I want to read this for you. In the book of James, the fifth chapter, verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So, what do we know about Elijah? Well, we know that he's like us. We know that he could talk to God. We know that God spoke to him. Follow the logic. We can also talk to God, and God can also talk to us. But we have to be in a place, first, where we can hear God. It's real tough to hear God talk when he's not talking. 
And then secondly, we have to be in a place that God wants to say something to us. And that's not going to happen until we've taken time to say something to him. It's obvious Elijah really came from only one place. That's called the prayer closet. Elijah came from a place of communion and fellowship and and prayer before the God of heaven. That didn't happen in 10 minutes in the morning as he was running out the door. He spent days in prayer, months, perhaps years. And he was constrained because he knew if he went out and did a public ministry, he'd be murdered. So he couldn't do that public ministry. He had to hide. And he came and he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Did you know it has stopped raining in the Christian church in America? The refreshings from the Holy Spirit are no longer coming to the church in America. There was a time when revival constantly was sweeping New England. Now New England has been given over totally to progressive liberalism. It is an anti-God area. Why? Because the rain stopped. I remember as a child, I would listen to a woman by the name of Catherine Kuhlman. I was fascinated by her ministry. She was out of Grove City, Pennsylvania, close to where I grew up. She would speak about the Lord in such an unusual way. I remember one night listening to her. Pastor David Wilkerson was my pastor. He was the one who founded the Times Square Church. He's now gone on to be with the Lord. But he would open the services. He was the preacher who would who would open the service with a, a time of preaching. And then Catherine Kuhlman would come on and she would begin the healing ministry and speaking words of knowledge. She was very powerful in the spirit. And I remember listening as a child. Catherine Kuhlman stopped talking. And finally she said, Stop! 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 You are grieving the Holy Spirit from this sanctuary. And then she just stood and waited. And the conversations died in the sanctuary. People stopped laughing and talking. It was dead silent. 
and the presence of God began to return. The Lord God will not inhabit a place of foolishness. If you go into a church and everybody is high-fiving and everybody's talking and everybody's excited about what they're going to do after church is over and they're talking about the football game and they're talking about the baseball game and they're, they're just, everybody's chit-chat, chit-chat, making dinner plans. You know that that day God will not show up in that place. He's already been grieved. For the presence of God to come, the pastor's going to have to be in prayer before the service. People are going to have to be in prayer before the service. As people are driving in their cars, they're going to have to have their radios off. They're going to have to have in their heart an expectation and an earnest desire that God will come and meet them in that worship service. But if the pastor is meeting with his elders to talk about the strategy for raising more money. If the business meetings are going on, if if everything is social, God will not come to that church. When God shows up, you're not going to say, hey bud, how are you? Glad to see you. Missed you lately. I'm glad you showed up today. No, are you kidding me? God's not going to come so you can say, Hey, Jesus, come over here a minute. I want to show you this. This is great coffee, Jesus. You want a cup? Hey, Jesus, come over here and have a donut. We're just talking about which donuts are the best. Are you kidding me? You think Jesus will show up at that church? There's not a chance he'll be there. But the church service will go on as though he were there, right? He'll be talked about. And when people leave, they will have sung some nice sentimental songs and the pastor would have told some nice jokes. And he might have even opened the scriptures and and said a few things with wisdom and inspiration. God wasn't there because there was no there was no repentance there was no crying out for him there was no hungry desire for him everything was superficial and empty make believe God stopped the rain on the American church And the greatest concern of my heart is what what is it going to take to bring Mount Carmel back to the American church? What's it going to take in my life? In your life? What is it going to take to have that small cloud the size of a man's hand begin to rise off the ocean and come and bring the American church refreshment?
this humble man of God stood before the king at the risk of his life and he spoke truth to power. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I have in my heart the desire for an Elijah company. I'd like to be able to see the National Prayer Chapel as the Elijah Company. And I want to share with you a few of the conditions that I believe are necessary to have an Elijah Company. I think the first condition that's necessary for an Elijah Company is for us to make a decision to do the same thing Elijah did, and that is to go all the way with God. That means for me an absolute refusal on my part to accept a compromise with Baal or with Asherah. where we make a decision based on our understanding of who God is and based on our searching of the scriptures and based on our time in the prayer closet where we finally rise up with enough courage to say, I don't care what it costs me, I am going to follow Jesus Christ. I belong to him. And I'm going to utterly refuse to accept any compromise with Baal. I'm done. I'm finished. Now, there's a great danger in doing that. On one side, you've just put a target on your back that the devil will happily come after you with all of his strength and all of his power. And on the other side... You've positioned yourself in a place where the devil can come and whisper in your ear, now you're somebody. Look, you're holy. You're holier than anybody else, so you're somebody. I encountered a person like that just recently. He said to me, for an old man, you have an unusual gift in the spirit. I looked at him. This man was so filled with pride and arrogance about his holiness and his righteousness. (laughs) All I could say to him was, I simply want to be about Jesus. He's the one I love. I said, it doesn't matter, old or young, We're called to humble our hearts and follow Jesus. (laughs) So we have two sides. One, the devil will come after you with everything he has. And he will do all in his power to cause you to compromise with Baal. 
and on the other side you will come with every accusation and every lie to make you think you're somebody. Jesus did not call us to be somebody. He called us to be humble servants of the Most High God, to lay our life down for our brothers and our sisters, to reach out with arms and hands of love and compassion to lift the burden from another's heart, to walk clean before God. That's the first standard of the Elijah Company. There is a second step that we must take to be a part of this Elijah Company. We must pray. And there is a very specific prayer that God has asked me to pray for America. And that prayer is to ask the Lord Jesus Christ for judgment on America that leads to repentance, not that leads to destruction. I love America. I don't want America destroyed. America is the most wonderful nation in all of the earth. We have been blessed by God beyond anything any other nation has experienced. We were at one time the freest nation on the earth. But now through the evil of our national state leadership, America is losing the freedom of speech. We are losing our God-given unalienable rights. But America is still the greatest nation on the earth. And I know that every nation, every empire of the past has collapsed by committing suicide. No empire, no empire was ever captured by outside forces. Every empire that has fallen fell by suicide the rot and the corruption of the inner heart of the nation finally brought it to its knees where it could be taken out. Go to Babylon and the wickedness of that nation. Medo-Persia, Greece. You go through the litany of of each of them, and especially the Roman Empire, probably the most powerful empire in the world before America. It fell from corruption as the Huns and the Vistagoths and the other Germanic peoples began to attack. Rome did not have the moral courage or the ability to withstand their attacks. And finally, Rome collapsed in on itself. Now America. My prayer is that America will become a defender of the righteous against the one world government and against 
the Muslim caliphate that is arising from which the Antichrist will come. I pray that America will be made righteous once more and stand as a, as a beacon of light in the world, as a nation made godly by the presence of the Holy Spirit being washed in the blood. As Glenn Beck announces that he's fasting and praying for our next president, he is scorned. And his response was classic. He said, since when in America is fasting and prayer something to be scorned? Now, I don't agree with all of Glenn Beck's philosophy. He is a Mormon. I don't agree with all of his political leanings. But I do agree with him regarding the desperate need to fast and pray for what's happening in our political leadership. I have great respect for this. I would join together with you to please ask the Lord for judgment under repentance in America. To recognize that we are going to collapse by suicide. If the policies that are being spoken of now, the removal of, of cash, going to a, a cashless society, it is one small step from total control by Antichrist powers. Opening the borders and allowing every person to enter who would choose to enter is suicide for this nation. The high taxes that are being charged and the corruption in the IRS, the targeting of conservative organizations who apply for their 501c3s. This is utter corruption. The corruption of our courts who would, who would dare take a stand against the God of heaven. And then one of our most conservative justices dying in a very suspicious and unexplained manner raises great questions about the viability of America and the freedoms that we have known. It's time to begin to cry out to the Lord like Elijah did for Ahab. Ask the Lord for judgment unto repentance. But you know that when we ask for judgment under repentance, God always begins in his house. So you know that if we begin to really earnestly ask Jesus to bring the judgment of repentance upon America, he will do so first in the church.
I'm not sure the American church could stand the judging eye of a holy God because the church has become as corrupt as the world. Now, number three. We must be hidden away. If you are going to be a part of the Elijah company, you're not going to be found at the club and the dance. You're not going to be found at Hollywood events. You're not going to be found at sporting events. You're going to be hidden away. You're not going to be the the joker who makes everybody laugh at dinner. You're going to be hidden away. You're going to be a nobody. You're not going to be thought of as the first person I would invite to my big party. In fact, you will not even be thought of to be invited to the big party. You must be hidden away. When I was first hidden away by the Lord, I wept. He took me out of public ministry, and for seven years I had no public ministry. I was totally, totally hidden away. Buried in the woods in a little home that didn't belong to me. To read the scriptures and to pray, and for seven years that's where I was, hidden away to pray, to read the word some 50 times from Genesis to Revelation. Just reading and rereading, crying out to God. And finally, he said, okay, open the National Prayer Chapel. And I said, no, Lord, no, please, the name is much too public. It's It's much too grand a name. I don't want a name of a church. Let's just call it the fellowship. Let's just be hidden away. I don't want this. And finally he said, will you or will you not do what I've told you? All right, Lord. And now as we have the National Prayer Chapel, we're still a hidden away little people with a very small radio broadcast, utterly hidden away, because our work is in the prayer closet. Our work is in the scriptures, crying out to God. Only he can bring the rain back to America. People say, Pastor, how big's the church? I say, maybe 40, maybe 50. 50, I don't know how many. I don't count people. Well, are you growing? Well, I don't know because I don't count. I'm not interested in growing. I'm interested in Jesus. And when the rain comes, the thirsty will know where to come. And then you won't be able to count them either. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
production comes from the Lord, not from the hand of man. I used to be so involved in all of the church growth movement and read all the latest books and and put into place all of the latest practices and all the outreaches and all the programs. and, And I was a program manager and a coach and a CEO. I'm none of that now. Now I'm just a servant of God who reads the word and loves people. And I want to walk humbly before him and serve him and serve his people. That's the, that's the heart of the Elijah company. There's no ego involved in it. There's no pride in, involved. There's no success. I mean, talk to me. Did Elijah have success because he was able to confront Elijah? No, Elijah wanted to kill him. He had to run. He had to go hide. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here. Where's here? The palace. The city. The place where great things are done and where fortunes are made. Leave here. Turn eastward. And hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. (laughs) I love that God will even use ravens to feed me. Some of you who contribute to the finances of this broadcast... You're ravens. You've not made a decision to really follow Jesus, and yet there's something calling you, and you're interested, and you listen. I'm eager to see the day when your flapping stops and your loud cries of discontent stop, and you finally say, Jesus, make me make me like you. Sold out. Now, I don't know where the ravens got the food. Maybe they flew in the open window at the palace and stole it out of the kitchen. That wouldn't surprise me. But can you see God's sense of humor? Did the ravens fly overhead and just drop it? And with flapping garments, he had to chase it and catch it before it hit the ground? Or did he have a plate? And he put the plate on a rock and they came and dropped it on the plate. I don't know how he did it. But God fed them with the ravens. You can't help but love ravens when you see what they did for Elijah. I can't help but love ravens when I see what many of them had done for me. I would have starved to death had it been up to the Christians. seven years five of those i was in the home of a of a man who was a raven no christians invited me into their homes they said pastor you're crazy why are you closing your church why are you doing this why are you spending all of this time with god go get a job pastor <laughs> all this raven said to me was 
You're always welcome in our home and we're going to love you. You bring the presence of God. Wow. I like that, Raven. Well, we're almost out of time for this broadcast today, but we're going to continue this whole question of the Elijah Company. I want to take just a few minutes quickly to talk to you about where we're at. I pray that there are some anointed, godly people who will hear, and if not, I know ravens will hear. Oh, just one aside. Do you know why I like ravens? They're not self-righteous and judgmental. They're just who they are. I like people who are willing to be honest about who they are. Because I know Jesus can do wonders with a person who will drop their pride. Humble their heart. He has done wonders in my life. Not because I was somebody, but because I'm nobody. I love Jesus for that. He didn't have to do anything for me. Out of his kindness and his mercy and his love, he did. While the self-righteous Christians just condemned and judged, cast out. But we'll talk about ravens tomorrow. This month is coming to a very rapid close, and I want to tell you where we are financially. We are just over $2,500 short of having the money necessary to pay for this month on radio. Now, one brother has made a $1,000 pledge that has not yet come. I know it will come, and that will bring us to just over $1,500 that we're short for radio for this month. We have this week. I'd like to be able to continue teaching every day and not take a day to spend on offertory. But that's going to depend on how the Holy Spirit moves in your heart and how he prompts you to give. On this broadcast, we don't sell things. We don't beg for money. We just say, this is where we're at, and it's like church. We pass the offering plate. And if God has prompted you to give tithes and offerings, then I encourage you to do that. If he has not prompted you to do that, then please don't do it. We don't give because we need to give. We give because Jesus calls us to give. And we give with a cheerful heart. One person was giving a large amount every month and then contacted me and said, Pastor, you're not being accountable with the money. So until you can be accountable to me for the money, I'm not going to give anymore. Well, she was very bitter and angry, hurting. I wasn't upset. It just brought clearly to mind that we give out of a cheerful heart we give to Jesus and all of the money that you give will go to pay for radio it'll cover the expense of this broadcast so if today's been helpful to you and day by day as you've been taught and brought to Jesus 
then I ask at the beginning of this week you would be very conscious of God's call in your life to give. Let me give you the address where you can send your tither offering. This is our offering plate. It's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Lord, thank you for this precious time we've shared together. I ask, Lord, that you would begin now in this listening congregation to raise up an Elijah company that will join together with the National Prayer Chapel in prayer that you, Almighty God, would send the rain to America once more. Lord, I worship you, I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you for each who has given this month and who will give. Lord, bless them richly. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlay. I pastored the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I love you dearly. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. His glory with great joy. With